That's a powerful message, Bill. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Choir, thank you for your message. He is able. He is able. Praise God. Well, where is your significance found? Your job? Your career? Your financial stability? Your health? Your appearance? Your knowledge? Maybe your skill or your ability at something. Maybe it's others' opinion of you that you find your significance. Maybe it's how moral you are. But you know, all of those things are based on ourselves. Those things that we base our worth and significance on often are faulty and very inconsistent. Take, for example, someone's opinion of you. Today, they may think highly of you. Tomorrow, they may think you're the scum of the earth. You see, and if your worth is based on that, then where does your worth go when their opinion falls? It goes to the toilet, doesn't it? But see, none of these things are a good foundation for measuring our worth and value because they're all temporal things. Each of us needs to understand that our worth is rooted in something far more important. Something eternal. Someone eternal. God himself. Our worth. In fact, the fact that we matter is based on God, who is eternal. So those who belong to him by faith in his son Jesus have eternal worth. Because of our, we looked a few weeks ago, uh, of our position in creation, every human being was made in God's image. Every human being was given uh, dominion over this earth, and every human being was made a little lower than the angels. That gives us great significance as human beings. But those who come to faith in Jesus Christ and trust Him as Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of their sins, they have a greater position, one that makes them eternal eternally valuable, and that is their position in Christ. You see, Christ is the express image of God, the Bible says, that in Him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. In Jesus Christ, He had true eternal dominion over all things. He demonstrated that while He was on the earth, as He calmed the stormy seas, as He fed the hungry with just 12 baskets, uh, I'm sorry, with just one basket of food, and they took up 12 baskets of leftovers. He demonstrated his authority and a dominion over sickness and disease. And then he too, even though he was preeminent with God the Father, he is God the Son, he stepped down from that position. He never ceased being God, but the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that he was made to be lower than the angels. He had to become human being just like you and me. He had to become that so he could die. That's what the Bible says. He had to become, he was made lower than the angels for the suffering of sin. He suffered for you and me. And you see, for every person that believes that Jesus saves, every person that comes to Jesus to be saved, saved is not a church term, saved is a Bible term. As long as saved is in the Bible, I'm going to use it. I don't care who says it's outdated. It ain't outdated if it's in the Bible. Amen? Amen. 
And people need to be saved. What do they need to be saved from? They need to be saved from their sin. We all need to be saved. Have you been saved? Has you asked Jesus Christ, like Spencer Webb did, have you asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin and save you? If you have, you are eternally valuable. Your value will continue on forever and ever and ever. But if you reject Jesus Christ, or if you think you don't need to be saved, then your value diminishes. Your value ceases because the Bible says that you will die and go to a place that Jesus called hell that is as real as heaven. But it's for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But yet God gives you today and me and people all over the world today every opportunity to trust Him as Savior and Lord. And if you do that this morning, if you've done that, I want you to know some wonderful truths. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, you are eternally significant. A couple of weeks ago on Sunday night, we talked about you're eternally secure. You cannot be lost again. And today I want to share with you that you're eternally accepted. Acceptance. Well, that's something we all crave, isn't it? That's almost basic to human nature. We want to be accepted by our peers. We want to be accepted by our superiors at work. We want to be noticed. We want to be considered of worth and of value. Well, in Christ, you are eternally accepted. And I want to share, and it's going to be kind of pretty quick here as we go through several things that the Bible tells us why we're eternally accepted. First of all, if you're saved, you are God's child. You're God's child. It doesn't matter if you're 95 years old. You're still God's child. Think about it. 95. First of all, compared to Methuselah, you're just a baby. And compared to God, your age, the psalmist said, is as nothing before God. You are God's child. The Bible says in John 1, 12, verse 11 says, Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, have you received Jesus Christ? To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has poured out, bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. If you're saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're eternally accepted because you are eternally a child of God. My children will not cease to be my children as long as I live and they live. They will always be my children. I will never disown them. They may disappoint me. They may do things that I don't approve of. I'm not saying that they do. I'm just saying if they ever did, I'd kill them. But I mean, I I would still, you know, I'm teasing I'm teasing, but they're still my kids. And the Bible, and, and, I, and I want to do good to them. I want to bless them, even though they're not perfect. Because God knows I was blessed, I was given mercy by my parents when they had every right, and I was much more rowdy, I think, than, and I don't even tell them the stories of things I used to do. <laughs> because, you know, they say... The kids practice in excess what the parents did in moderation. So I definitely don't want to tell them what I used to be involved in. 
So I know the mercy that I've received, and my mom and dad still called me son. And the Bible says that if, if, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Father in heaven will give those gifts to those who love him. Listen, you're God's child. You're eternally accepted. There's a story about John F. Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln. When they were in office, and of course they weren't in office together, obviously separated by many, many years, but those two presidents, something was known about them that most of the country knew. That their small sons could walk into the Oval Office at any time unannounced. Their dads had an open-door policy. Now, that wasn't true for every other president. We're told that many other presidents would not allow their children into the Oval Office. But little John, or little Tad, could walk in any time they pleased. Why? Because the man who to everybody else was the president, to them, was Daddy. And the Bible says God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, Abba, Father. Listen, to, to the world, He's just God. But to you and me who are saved, He's Daddy. He's Father. And we have that intimate connection with Him that cannot be broken. I am God's child. Secondly, I am Christ's friend. A friend. The Bible says in John 15, 5, Jesus said it. John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. I call you a friend. A small boy defined a friend as someone who knows all about you and loves you just the same. Another author wrote this, somewhat lengthy, but listen. He said, friends are people with whom you dare to be yourself. Your soul can be exposed to them. They ask you to put on nothing, only to be what you are. They do not want you to be better or worse. When you're with them, you feel as a prisoner feels who has been declared innocent. You do not have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long as it is genuinely you. Friends, understand those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With them, you breathe freely. You can avow your little vanities and envies and hates and vicious sparks, your meanness and absurdities, and in opening them up to friends, they're lost, dissolved on the white ocean of their loyalty. They understand. You don't have to be careful. You don't have to tiptoe. You can abuse them, neglect them, tolerate them. Best of all, you can keep still and quiet with them. It makes no matter. They love you. They're like fire that purges to the bone. They understand. You can weep with them, sing with them, laugh with them, pray with them. Through it all and underneath, they see, they know, and they love you. A friend? What is a friend? Just one, I repeat, with whom you dare to be yourself. Jesus is a friend to sinners. That's what he was accused of in his life in ministry. You say, Jesus couldn't be a friend to me. Does he know how, what I have done? Yes, he knows. And he loves you just the same. 
There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is that kind of friend. He is a friend to sinners. He doesn't call us sinners. He doesn't call us servants. He calls us friend. We have a song that we sing, I am a friend of God. Do you see yourself that way? You're eternally accepted as a friend of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, you're eternally accepted because you have been justified. I have been justified. That's one of those big Bible words. Let's talk about that for just a moment. It comes from many places in Scripture. Romans 5.1 is one of those places. Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, you know, there are a lot of people that are longing not only for acceptance, but for peace. Peace. Peace with God. How does peace with God come? It comes through Jesus Christ, through faith in His name. It comes by being justified. Justified. What does that word mean? Well, let me share another illustration for you. There was a man in England who put his Rolls Royce on a boat and went across the continent for vacation. While he was driving around Europe, something went wrong with the motor of his Rolls Royce. He asked the Rolls Royce people back in England, he said, I'm having trouble with my car, what do you suggest I do? Well, the Rolls Royce people flew a mechanic over to where he was, repaired the car, and then flew back home. As you can imagine, this Rolls Royce owner was wondering, how much is this going to cost me? So he gets back to England, he writes a letter to the Rolls Royce company, and he says, well, how much do I owe you for repairing my Rolls Royce. He received a letter from their office that read, Dear Sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls Royce. <laughs> That's justification. When you know you have messed up, and I know I have messed up, I have disappointed God more times than I can even remember. And at those times, I feel lower than the low. I feel far from God. I feel like He could never love me. He would never accept me back. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the power of His forgiveness... The Bible says he keeps no record of wrong. He does not deal with me as my iniquities deserve. I have been justified. I call up and say, hey, God. You remember that thing I did a few years ago? I feel terrible about that. I know I already asked you to forgive me, but it still haunts me. God says, what are you talking about, boy? I don't even remember that. Now you say, God can't forget stuff. Well, the Bible says that he, he chooses not to remember it. Is there something God can't do? If God chooses to forget something, I believe God can choose to do it. Amen? It says he remembers our sins no more. Now, if you start feeling bad and guilty for sins confessed and forget, uh, forgiven, then that's not the God, the Father, that is the devil accusing you. You've been justified. God looks at you, justified, never done it. 
Colossians 2.14. How can he do that? Because the Bible says he took that handwriting of ordinances that was against us. When I read that phrase, I think of, I think of the devil keeping a long list of everything I've done wrong. It'd have to be a long one. Some of yours would be longer than mine. Some of yours would only take a half a page. Y'all are so spiritual and good. Not your pastor. Long list. The Bible says he took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and he nailed it to the cross, taking it out of the way. Out of the way of what? Standing between me and God. See, that's what Jesus does when he saves. We sing that song, Jesus Saves. That's one of the things he does when he saves. He takes that sin out of the way. You now have complete peace and access with your father and your friend. You have eternal acceptance because you've been, re you've been united with the Lord and you are one spirit with Him. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. The Bible says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Next month, will celebrate 28 years of being joined to that beautiful woman right there. The Bible says that we became one. The Bible says the two shall become one. I hear all the time folks who have lost their spouse will say, I feel like half a person. That's because one your two has become one. I've joined my life with her life. She's joined her life with my life. We are one. Now you say, wait, you're two different people. Sure we are. But God, in some mysterious way, has made us one, just like every one of you who've married today. You're one with your spouse. The Bible says if you've been joined with the Lord, you are one spirit with Him. And He will not Yea, cannot disown his own. Now we have people who, are, who, who can do that today. They can get divorced, but God does not divorce his own. God cannot commit sin. God cannot do wrong. In fact, if he were to disown you, he would step off from being God. And you can't, God cannot stop being God. You are united with the Lord. You're one spirit with him. You're eternally accepted and you know how he did that? The Bible says in the next uh, few verses down in the same chapter, you were bought with a price. You belong to God. He says, you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit with your God. You were bought with a price. Picture a slave, if you will, on the slave block. What were you a slave to? Sin. Every one of us were slaves to sin. And there we stand on the slave block, chained to the devil. He owns us. He has that handwriting of ordinances against us. Proof that God should reject us. But Christ steps up as the auction begins. And he outbids everybody. 
Because there are no other bidders, because who wants a filthy wretch like you and me? But Christ steps up and he says, Father, I'll take him. I'll take her. What price will you give, son? I'll give my own blood. I'll pay for her sin. I'll pay for his sin. You see, you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's what one of the New Testament writers said. You haven't been bought with perishable things like silver and gold, but you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's why you're eternally accepted. You're also a member of Christ's body. You're a member of His body. You see, the Bible says that I'm joined with my wife, and my wife is joined with me, and we become one what? Flesh. One flesh. So when I am joined with Christ, not only am I one in spirit with Him, but I become a member of His body. Now, what is His body? You are. We are. Now just look around. Now when you start talking about somebody in this church or any church, gossiping, downing, judging, pointing fingers, you're talking about the body of Christ. And he don't like that. And he's going to get you if you keep it up. He's going to whoop you. You know why? Because you're his child. I used to whoop my kids when I, when they, before they were bigger than me. <laughs> God will whoop you. You're talking about his body. We are his body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you're the body of Christ and members individually. Just look around. You know, you... You look at yourself, maybe, your behavior, but you're not perfect. And you know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. How can, how can I be the body of Christ? How can this church made up of imperfect people? Yeah, a bunch of hypocrites. Most any one of us during the week act like a hypocrite, right? That wasn't an amen time, was it? I think I just heard... That's all I heard. <laughs> How can we be the body of Christ? I'll tell you something else. Because we're the body of Christ, we're beautiful to Him. A gracious clerk and a local Christian, not here, this is a story I'm telling you, local Christian bookstore often refers to a church as the body. She would say, I'm going to worship with the body today. I'm going to study God's word with the body today. One week, many devoted members of that local body had come to the bookstore to buy birthday gifts for their pastor. On Saturday, that pastor, John, stopped at the store, and he told this clerk, Carol, about the surprise party his congregation had given him the night before. 
And Carol's heart was touched, and spontaneously, without thinking, she just leaned forward and shouted, Oh, John, I just love your body! <laughs> the customers in the store did just what you did. They burst into laughter. But she was talking about the church. And listen, when Jesus looks at us, he sees all our imperfections. But he sees his body. And we're beautiful to him. And he loves us. You cannot be unaccepted. You cannot be disowned because you are a member of his body. The Bible even goes so far to say you're a saint. You're a saint. Paul loved to use that phrase. Over and over again in his letters to the churches, he would say something like this in Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. You're a saint. Now you see a saint in our mindset today. We, we think of somebody who has been venerated, who is uh, by a church who's been lifted up and and uh, somebody who's lived a good life and who's given themselves uh, selflessly uh, to meet great need in this world. And so we call them a, a saint. But that's not the biblical definition of a saint. A saint is one who has been called and been made a saint by faith in Jesus Christ. You and I are saints in Christ. Again, you don't see yourself that way. And that's part of our problem. We don't see ourselves the way the Bible says we are. We see ourselves as scum, sinners, and not saints. And so how do we behave? As a man thinks in his heart, what? So is it. If you constantly think, I'm just a filthy sinner, that's what you're going to be. But if you think, hey, I am a child of God. I'm a saint. I'm a member of his body. You rise to that level. You keep telling a kid he's dirtbag, he'll prove you right. You tell a kid, man, you're awesome. God's going to use you great one day. You're going to be a powerful man one day. You're going to be a great leader. He will rise to that. He'll prove you right. Same with the way you think about yourself and each other. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You're a saint. What are you? What are you? Saints. You're saints. Because we're saints, we have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, in chapter 18, it says, For through Him, that is, through Christ, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. You remember that story I told you about John F. Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln's kid? They had access to the Oval Office because who their daddy was. We have access to the Holy of Holies. We have access to that inner sanctuary, the throne room of God, because of Jesus Christ, because we're His children, because we're saved. We have direct access to God. You don't have to go through me to get saved. You don't have to go through me to pray. You don't have to go through any man on the face of this earth. We have one high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. We go directly to Him. We pray in His name. We pray to the Father we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We worship God one-on-one. -on -one. Listen, when we gather for worship, by the way, there's only one audience member in this building. Only one. Who is he? He's Jesus Christ. He's God 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the only audience member. You're not in the audience. An audience precludes that, that you're watching something take place. You say, well, isn't that what we did? I hope not. I hope you participated while we were leading you. That you were worshiping with us. That you were encountering the presence of God with us. But you don't have to have me or a praise man or a choir or music minister to worship the Lord. You can do that on your own. By the way, if you're doing that on your own during the week, it makes what happens on Sunday a whole lot better. If you walk out of here saying, well, I ain't getting nothing out of that, you probably didn't bring much. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. Do you believe that? You've been redeemed and forgiven of all of your sins. Colossians 1.14 says that. In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's why you're eternally accepted. You've been redeemed. And that word redeemed, again, is a financial term. It means paid a price for. It's very akin to the word that Jesus cried out on the cross when He said, It is finished. Actually, I wasn't part of the translation team and didn't, I don't have the, uh, the accreditation to be part of the translation team, but technically the Greek term for that phrase, it is finished. It's just one Greek word. And technically it's translated paid in full. So when Jesus was saying it is finished, what he was saying was, Lord, the price has been paid, it is finished, it's done, it's a done deal, it's over and done with. All the sins of the world have been paid for. That doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven but those who trust that what Jesus did was for them, those are the child, children of God. Those are the saints of God. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. And because of that, you are complete in Christ. You don't need anything else. You don't even need anybody else. You don't need more money. You don't need a better job. You don't need a finer home. You don't need a new boat, a new car, a I knew anything. You, you're complete in Christ. All the things we say we need, do we really need them? Or do we just want them? Do we think we got to have that in order to have a full and meaningful life? Or do we believe what the Scripture says in Colossians 2.10? You are complete in Him. You remember, and I'm not advocating this movie, but there's a line in the movie, The Help, repeated by the maid, Abilene, as her little protege sat on her lap. And Abilene repeats this phrase over and over to this little girl. You remember what she kept saying to her? You is smart, you is kind, you is important. Some of you need to hear those words again. But you need to hear them from your Heavenly Father. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning.